Amen. We're going to open straight into the scriptures, into Philippians chapter 3. It's going to be a couple, uh, a couple verses. I'm not the best reader, but God doesn't call the ones who are perfect. God calls to the ones who are willing. Amen. So, and we're going to be considering uh, verses 1 through 14. When you have a say amen, we have it provided here on the projection screens as well. Philippians chapter 3, verse 1 through 14. And the word is written in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And his church says, and his church says, Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again. And it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, the mutators of flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision. We who serve God, his spirit, who boast in Christ, Jesus Christ. And who puts no confidence in the flesh, though myself have reason for such confidence. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more circumcised on the eighth day, a, a people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, the Hebrew, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regards to the law, a Pharisee, and as zeal, persecuting the church, as righteousness based on law, faultless, faultless. But whatever gain it's to me to consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because the surpassing worth of knowing Christ, Jesus, my Lord, whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his suffering, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all of this, or that I have already arrived at my goal, but I press to take hold of what, of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet taking hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind me and straining towards what is ahead. I press toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Someone say amen. You all may be seated in this moment. Today the title of my sermon is Everything is a Loss. Everything is a Loss. And as I was preparing this message, I'm not going to lie, this is probably one of the hardest messages I had to put together as I was asking God which direction he wanted to, to speak to his church today. And I was having a hard time. I, I mean, I broke night trying to prepare this message because I just could not focus. I was so distracted. So many things happening at the same time. And that often happens when you're getting ready to prepare to deliver something. Everything tries to come at you. Everything tries to distract you, try to come your way to make sure that you don't get the time or the enough uh, adequate time to be able to prepare to be able to deliver what God wants to deposit inside of you. 
And knowing the responsibility as a speaker, as a communicator here today, I know that when we speak, we do not speak on behalf of ourselves, but we are a representative of God. Understanding that the word that is spoken today is not by me, but that God has given it to me so that his people can, can thrive in his goodness. And understanding that we live in a world full of distractions and distractions, they come in many different shapes and sizes. Distractions smell different. They look different. They all have one job. All of them, they might be appear, some bigger, some smaller, some, some discreet. But they're all distractions. They all have one job. And that one job is to keep us from doing what we are called to do or what we have assigned to do. And for those who know, I have recently gone on a missionary trip. I was able to uh, just come back probably last week uh, and I was in Honduras. I was in Honduras for about six days, and it was an amazing blessing to be there. And it was very, very last minute. I had no, uh, no idea I was going to go. I, I, I thought I was, but, but I didn't have the permission to go. And, and last minute, something happened uh, that I was able to miraculously uh, be able to partake in that mission. God wanted me to be a part of that mission, and it was so incredible. And I have, uh, I have gone on many mission trips uh, many different ones, and, and I've seen God move in tremendous ways. I've seen his hand. I mean, I've seen miracles happen. I've seen uh, people be free. I see people uh, be made whole. I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy the things that you see in different countries. And, and when I tell you that less is more, I truly mean it. A lot of times when we, when we see these things partaking or happening, when we see these things happening is because less is more. And what I mean by that is that we live in a place where we have access to so many things and we have so many distractions that sometimes we take away from what God actually wants to do because we're not in the position, we're not in the authority, we're not in the power that God has designed us to walk in because we have not submitted the time and the time in the secret place and, and, and the time inside the prayer closet and the time to, to do what God has asked us to do. And most of the times when we're communicating and preaching, a lot of people are not listening. They're, they're on their phones. They're scrolling on Facebook. I can see everything from up here. Nobody is so far, but just in case. And the way I see, the way I see when I go to these missionary trips, I see people worship God in a different manner. I'm talking about people sobbing. I'm talking about puddles of water on the floor because they're so thankful that God's presence is there. And then I come to America and it's just like, um, hey, uh, the light is the light is too bright, or can you lower the volume a little bit? Like I'm, you know, I, and we come to America. It's just like everything, like that. It's just like a, a, a night and day when it comes to that kind of posture. They literally come to to Jesus to expect a miracle, to expect something great to happen. They come with an expectation that the King of King is in the house, but we come with expectation that the pastor has a good word. We come in an expectation that, that, that we have some, some miracle sauce that we're going to bless you with. No, no, no. You got to come here not to visit a man, but to visit a king. You got to come to the house of God to serve God and worship him. And I've seen people who have nothing worship God as if they had everything. I wonder if we had less, will we do more? 
I wonder if, if it might have been a mistake for you to be, ha- to be so blessed that you forgot who blessed you with it. And I believe that going on these trips have really exposed something in my heart. And every time I go, I just have a new gratitude. Like, God, thank you. Thank you for all the things that I have. Because what we consider little, it's a, a lot. It's overabundance. I mean, I've been uh, in places where I'll finish my meal and I was too full. It was just the scraps of the rice where I don't want no more. And I, I go to throw it inside the garbage and I have a, a little young boy say, stop. Uh, I'll throw it out for you and, and I'll just see him go eat it in the back and then, and, and then clean the plate. Some of the most heart-wrenching things because you don't think about it. You just think about, I'm full. I don't want no more. I'm throwing it out. Or I'll keep it, or some of you guys have too much conviction that you leave it in the refrigerator. As I'm going to eat it tomorrow, and then you end up not eating it. You just throw it away. Unless somebody else throw it away for you. <laughs> but thinking, thinking about this, I don't, I don't think about the clean water. I don't think about the food that we have. I don't think about all these other things that I'm always, you know, just doing. And then we come to worship God, and it's just like, here I am, God. Do what you want to do. Bless me more. You know, and when you look at it, these people, they're like, oh, God is such a good, good God. He's so, he's so amazing. It's just like looking at their life, you're like, he doesn't look like a good God. He doesn't look like a good father because they live in poverty. They live in, with things that they don't have. And it's just like, how can they say he's a good God? Sometimes less is more. And I was reading this chapter inside this book, and he, he was a missionary, and he was going on a mission. He got to his destination, and when he gets there, he was in the church for hours. I mean, they sang so many hymns, so many songs. They gave testimonies. The preaching was, uh, uh, I mean, they had multiple preachers. And he was just so shocked that people were just staying there. People were just retaining there. People were just listening to what the preacher and the communicator had to say. And after the service is over, after hours of worship, after hours of preaching and ministering, he goes to the pastor. He says, hey, what is your secret? And he says, what do you mean? He said, what is your secret? Because where I'm from, you have to sing only three songs and preach for 45 minutes because if not, then everybody gets impatient and everybody got something else to do and they got to go and people, people got other things, other plans. They have a schedule, a tight schedule to, to, to accommodate. How do you retain people from, from leaving? Because where I'm from, everybody has a plan. I mean, I bet some of you guys here today have plans to go out to dinner or for lunch to meet up a friend or something like that. Have we left room for God in our, our day today? Have we left enough time for God to move and do what he wants to do today? Or do you just know the times of how everything works in order, right? Everything just, oh, they're going to preach about an hour, depending, you know, I, I could make it still there, you know. I'm not saying it's bad to make plans. I'm just saying when your plans take precedence of what God is doing, then that's something to think about. God should always have top priority in your life. What good is it to have all these things and have all these plans if God is not in the forefront of these things? So the pastor, the pastor, he laughs at the guy, the missionary. He says, well, you see, the reason why I'm able to keep them all here is because there's nothing else to do. There's nothing else to do. And it's just like, 
We're full of distractions. We have an agenda that's more full that we allow God at a certain slot on a certain day of the week. For only three hours on Sunday, that's the only thing that God can have. Other than that, you're busy. You're busy at work. You're busy with the kids. You're busy with school. You're busy with running around trying to build a business. You're busy doing all these other things, and you leave very little room for God. Now, I'm not trying to offend nobody today, but I'm just, I'm just, I'm just letting you know what God gave me to speak today. So if it hurts, I mean, that's not my fault, okay? <laughs> they have nothing else to do. That's all they have. And when you go on these trips, you see the power of God moving. You see people being healed from diseases, sickness. You see, I mean, you see the, some of the ex- most extraordinary things. That, and it's just like, man, that God exists here too. That God lives here too. I mean, we've seen the Dwelling Place Church have seen people healed and delivered. And, and we've seen what they, but, but I'm talking about America as a whole. We don't see it enough. There is a God that is sovereign and wants to move in his church. He wants, to, he wants to speak to dead things to come to life. But we don't give him the room. And the reason is because we're distracted with computers, with our phones, with our responsibilities, with our jobs, with our anxiety, our stressors. And all these things are real things. But what is more important than being in the presence of God? What is more important than knowing who Christ is? There is nothing more important than knowing Christ. Now, I don't have enough time to address all the scriptures of, of verse by verse, but I want, to, uh, I want to just address a couple of things. We see the Apostle Paul, he's addressing a problem that is happening inside the church. Uh, it, it is... Uh, uh, this, this problem is caused by the Judaizers. That's what they were called, the group of people. Uh, and it was a Jewish Christian, uh, at least they claimed to be Christian, but their, their practice was to go to the Gentiles and, who were coming new to the faith. The Gentiles who were coming new to the faith, and they were telling them things they needed to do to be a Christian. Uh, things, uh, things such as, the, uh, if you aren't a Jew, then you must be uh, circumcised. If you're a Gentile, then you have to follow these Jewish uh, rules and, and laws that they have in order to, to, to be a believer in the faith. And these actions were actually impeding the growth of the Gentiles coming to Christ. And it's kind of putting restrictions and contrary to what Paul was actually teaching. Paul was teaching that, that, that the, 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 the uh, grace... Uh, coming through faith, that God's grace coming through faith, and it's nothing, it's not by our works, but we're saved by His grace and by, by our faith in Him. And they were putting all these restrictions and, and having contrary teachings to, to what Paul was saying. So uh, Paul, Paul would write this letter and would, would address this situation and says to them, Watch out for these dogs. Now, that's a very strong word to say, especially uh, it's a little uh, demeaning or degrading, but it's actually funny, to be honest. The reason why it's funny is because the Jewish culture or the Jewish people will actually call the Gentiles dogs. But now we have Paul, the apostle, saying, watch out for these dogs. The people that they were calling you dogs, he's calling them a dog now. He says, watch out for these dogs. And Paul turns it around and, 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 and tells them 
to watch out for them. It says in verse 4, it says, if anyone thinks that he can match and have anything uh, that, that I have and have more of it when it comes to being favor and righteous before God, then please come. He's almost challenging anyone who has the resume of his history of Christianity, of, of being a follower of Christ. He's saying, if you can even compare to the resume that I have, then come. Come to me and talk to me about it. Because not, he's almost challenging someone to come to him and say, hey, you know, I, I, I lived a better life than you. Or I have more experience than you. And, and, and he's almost challenging uh, that group of people. And what we see, he mentioned seven different things. And if we take those uh, seven different things and we split them up, uh, you almost have uh, uh, two things. And it says uh, things that he received uh, naturally by birth and things that he, re he received because he had achieved it. Now, I know there's a lot of talking. I'm just trying to break down so that way you can understand what I'm trying to say today. So the things that he did, uh, that, that he did nothing for was, was, uh, he, was uh, he was circumcised on the eighth day. He was a people of Israel. He was a tribe of Benjamin. He was Hebrew of Hebrews. And those are the, the categories that he did nothing to achieve. He was just born into it. But now, the things that he did achieve was, in regards to the law, he was a Pharisee. And he, was, he had this zeal. He had so much zeal that he was persecuting anyone who was against the, 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 the Jewish culture, the Jewish religion. And he would persecute the Christians. It says, and as righteousness, he said, I'm faultless. So he's almost painted this picture of that he's an he's a upright, most righteous man. And if anybody's reading the context of this scripture, we will almost see that he's almost boasting. It sounds like he's boasting about himself and all the greatness that he has. But when it comes to verse 7, he says, But whatever gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ, my Lord, whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. So he refers to that whole big list that he just spoke. He says, I count that all as lost. I count that all as garbage when it comes to knowing Christ. When it comes to understanding who he is. And what we got to understand is that Paul starts saying he refers to all these things. So uh, we see the heritage that he comes from. So he comes from the, uh, the the Jewish culture, right? So we have uh, a Jewish uh, background, a very strong Jewish background. Why? He was circumcised on the eighth day. Yeah, uh, he, he was uh, he was Israel, uh, Israel of uh, people of Israel, and not just any people, but he was also from a tribe, the tribe of Benjamin. And if you if you know the tribe of Benjamin, it was a very prestige tribe, a tribe that that did not turn away from the kingdom. It was a tribe that that remained. So it was a very prestige, and it, it was also very uh, uh, I would say very rich in their culture and their and their and their belief because they were in the center of it all. The, even the landing, the geographical part of where they were, they were just in the middle of the Jewish culture. So he had all those credentials to, 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 to say, this is who I am. And if you look at, uh, if you look at uh, Israel, the first king that they had was, uh, was King Saul. 
Now, I'm not saying this, this is a fact, but, but there might be a little bit of influence on why they named him Saul. Uh, if you don't know Paul's name before it got changed, it was Saul. So it could have been, and I'm not saying it's accurate or what I'm saying, but there could have been some coincidence that, that even Saul came from that same tribe and, and he was in the same lineage, the same place. So we see that he had a social status because he was a, a part of the tribe of, of Benjamin. He had, he had a, a, just a, a, like an elevated like, a, a character of who he is. Like he's, he's, he's a part of the culture. He's deep in it, right? Uh, he had biblical understanding. He said, he's a, I'm a Pharisee. Now, when we look in the New Testament, Pharisees, we, we, we got to be careful with that word because uh, Pharisees are often uh, frowned upon now because Jesus came and, and he, he would call out the Pharisees who were hypocrites and who were just, who knew the law but did not, did not, did not practice it correctly. And, 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 and in reality, in that time, Pharisees were, were, uh, were respected at a very high degree. They knew the Bible from back to, back to front. They knew every single thing. They were, they, were, they were students of the law. They knew. They were teachers of the law. They knew it. He had religious zeal. He persecuted anyone who would turn against what, what they believed. And then he says, he says to them, basically, show me any wrong that I have done. He lived a moral lifestyle, and he's calling them to challenge them. Now, when you look at these lists of things that I mentioned, you think about the religious activities. You think about how he was a moral, how he had a, 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 he, was, he was in the Hebrew culture. He was, in, he was so involved in all that stuff. When you look at all those things, those are actually good things. You know, good things that he was born into and good things that he also accomplished. So all these things are good. The family was good. Social status was good. Biblical understanding was good. Religious activities was good. Moral lifestyle was good. So now these things weren't bad. These were good things, right? Paul is saying that it is possible to love your family and go to church. It is possible to have a good representation of, of a person or a character or demeanor of who you are. It is possible to know the Bible back and front. Uh, it is possible to be zealous for the Lord. It is possible to be decent and have moral standards and, and, and live a, a good life. And, and, and he says, it is, it is all trash if you do not know Christ. Because you cannot, you cannot honor your family the way God intended for you to honor them if you do not know Christ. You cannot love them the way God loves them if you do not know Christ and his love. You cannot, you cannot, you, you cannot say about, you cannot say I have a great job and not know about Christ. You can say that, but it's all trash, it's all garbage. Uh, the other translation, it says it's all dung which is like manure, which is poop. It's all poop. When it comes to God, when, when, when all these things, what good is it to have all these things and not know Christ? 
He's telling us about what really matters. All these things are good, but they can be better when you know Christ. And we see all the way from 7, chapter, uh, verse 7 to 11, all, all, the, seven, all the way through 11, it says, But whatever gains to me I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What more? I consider everything a loss because of surpassing worth of knowledge. Christ Jesus, my Lord, whose sake I have lost all things, I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ to be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes in God and the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection, the participation in his suffering, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining the resurrection, uh, to the resurrection from the dead. We discover that Christ is the most important thing. That Christ is the most important thing. There are people here in this house that might have brought their family, and I want to thank you for bringing your family. There are people that have nice cars inside the parking garage. I want to thank you for bringing the, the cars in the parking lot. There are people that have nice houses and nice things, and there are people in this house that are morally right, and they're good people, and they, they live good lives, and they have a high standard of living, but, but, uh, but, 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 but I, I, they cannot comprehend how all those things are lost if you do not have Christ. Some people say, I have all these things, and I, I give offerings, and I help out, and I, and, I, and, and, and I do all these things for the community. You know, one thing that a pastor showed me one time, he says, good work is not always God work. We do all these things, and if, if Christ is not in the center of it, then what are we really doing? If we're doing good deeds, they're just good deeds because they don't bring glory to God. But when you do it unto God... There is a reward for you. I'm not saying that we do it for rewards. And they can't comprehend that all those things are lost if you do not know Christ. With Christ, you don't know how to honor these things. Work, school, it is all lost and wasted if you do not have Christ in the forefront of it. Today, my fear is this. My fear is that there are people in this room today that think they're doing all the right things, but they do not know him. My fear is that people are working good jobs and doing good around the community, but they do not know Christ. My fear is that one day they have to give an account to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And they have to stand before him. And they have to say, God, it's me. And one of the scariest things to know is that if you did not put Christ in the center of it all, he will tell you, depart from me, I never knew you. And some will say, Lord, Lord, but, but I preached in your name, but I, I, I did these things in your name. And I, and I, I went out there and I, I fed the community. I went to church. I was a tither. I brought my family to church. I did all these things. Why, why don't you know me? Because you did all these things and still 
did not know Christ. All these things will not matter until you decide that you want to know Christ. Until you decide that you want to make a decision to know him and be so in love with him and and do anything at any time, any place, because he's calling you to do it. My question today, whether it's your first time coming to church or if if you're a member for life, my question today is, do you know Christ? From the first time guest to the, the, the person coming for the second week, my question is to you, do you know Christ? From the person who just finished Team 7 to the person who's been serving since the building, this church has started in a living room. My question today is, do you know Christ? Because none of this will matter if you don't know Christ. All your works, all your good deeds, all the things you did for your family will not matter if you do not know Christ. If you do not repent and say, God, here I am. God, I want to know you. It is possible to come to church every single Sunday, every single week, every single service and still not know God. I went so many years not knowing God, thinking I knew the truth. But I was bound by my own lust of the flesh. I was bound by my own negligence of who God truly is and what he desires from me. I wanted God to be a certain way. I wanted him to let me do what I wanted to do. And and I tell him what I can do and what I cannot do. I wanted to be God of my own life, but let him be a part owner. And I fear many of us live that same life. That we don't let God be the ruler of our lives. We don't even consider God when we do things. We don't consider God when we, when we do things. And God wants to be included in all things. Not because he's a controlling God. It's because he wants to do life with you. He wants to lead you. He wants you to trust him. David understood this. He says, yeah, I walk through the darkest valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil because he's with me. This life sucks when you're by yourself. It's always better when you have Christ in it. It's time, church, that we include Christ in everything that we do. The reason why we keep failing, the reason why we can't go past a certain point is because we have not allowed Christ in that area of our lives, in that area of our business, in that area of our families. We need to allow Christ. My question is, do you know Christ? I came with a simple message today just asking the question. Count it all as lost. There's nothing better than knowing Christ. Your family is important. Job is important. All these things, the house is important, the cars, I'm not saying it's not, but, but, but it, it does not mean anything if Christ is not the center of it. He wants to be the cornerstone. He wants to be built upon. He wants you to build upon him. The truth is that we think we know God, and we think we know that he loves us. We know John 3.16 by heart. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that who shall ever believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. What a beautiful scripture. And that's a fact. The truth is, knowing a fact and believing a fact are two different things. The fact is that Jesus does love you. The fact is that he died on a cross in Calvary for you. And yet while you were still a sinner, while you were still lost, while you were still broken, Jesus died on a cross because he wanted to be included in your life. The last verse of that, John 3.16, says, so they might be saved. He died on a maybe. He died on, on just maybe so they might be saved. I'm leaving the choice up to you. Whether you want to accept me or not, whether you want to come to me or not, I'm giving you this offer of a gift. We have forgotten Christ and have traded him for the pleasures of this world. For the riches of this world. What good is it for a man to gain the world but to lose his soul? Come on, these are biblical truth, church. It's not the first time you hear this. What good is it for a man to gain the world, to gain everything you ever dreamed of and then realize that you never had Christ? What's the point of this life? We should be so in love with God to say, God, I can't breathe without you. I don't want to live without you, God. I want everything I do, I want it to be for you. I want it to be yours, God. Everything that I have, I want to give it to you. But we can't because the greed in our hearts, everything we work for, everything. If God wants to say to give it all away, can you truly do this? Can you count all those things that you built with your own strength? Can you count that as a loss? Can you give it up? If God was to call you to do it. Job in the, in the scriptures was a righteous man. There was no other like Job. And he was tested beyond measure. His children died. His family, everything he had, all his livestock, everything, his house, everything. Even his own body was, was, was he had boils on his body. Even infirmity touched his body. But you know what the great thing is? He might have lost all of that, but he said, I still have Christ. And in the 19th chapter of Job, he says, I know that my Redeemer lives. Another scripture says, though he slay me, I will trust in him. Church, I got to let you know, when you have Christ in the center of it all, nothing else matters. All these other blessings are good, but I just need Christ. Because I know that if I lose it all, if I lose it all and I still have Christ, doesn't mean it's not painful. Doesn't mean it doesn't hurt when you lose somebody you love. Doesn't mean it doesn't hurt when God allows death to happen in the family or things bad things to happen. But what it means is that he promises to be there with you and he wants to be included in your life. I wonder if 
That's why the psalmist in Psalm 27, verse 4 says, One thing I have desired of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell, dwell in place, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. You guys got somewhere to be? Or can you just behold the beauty of his majesty today? Can you just dwell and seek after him? David said, I will dwell all the days of my life. It would be nice if we didn't have to work and just live in church, right? But we have to do these things. I get it in a practical manner. What I'm saying is that you leave here doesn't mean you leave church. Church goes with you. Dwelling, praying without ceasing. That means praying without stopping. That means being in contention. That the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to your God. We should meditate on his word day and night. But are we doing that? No, because we only give God three hours in one week. We only pray when it's necessary, when someone's dying, when someone's sick, when someone's hurting. I'm sorry, church, I don't mean to tell you this, but I just want to tell you this because it's time for us to wake up and say, God, do I really know you? And if I don't know you, and I'm not sure if I know you, and I thought I know you, but I want to know you. Today is the day where you can know Christ. He also says in Psalms 84, verse 10, says, Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. Now listen to this. I would rather be a doorkeeper for all my connections team, the ones who stand by the door, right? I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God than to dwell in the tent of the wicked sent. Come on. I'd rather be a doorkeeper than to be in a tent with the wicked. David was on to something. He loved the Lord. He had a heart that was after God's heart. And I just pray that our hearts are also postured that way in this morning. That we can say, God, I live for you and I will also die for you. Because everything is counted as loss if you're not in the middle. Now, when I went on this mission trip about six days ago or a week ago, two weeks ago, I don't even know what day it is. I'm, I'm getting married in a month. Come on, somebody. <laughs> That's my beautiful fiance, by the way. A lot, a, lot of, a lot of stuff happening at the same time, but I have the, I have the wedding going on, and I have, I have a, a, a lot of work to do, and ministry, just the grand opening, my God, all this stuff we had to do. Uh, number one, I know some of you might be disappointed because Pastor Ezekiel is not here, but, but I want to let you know, Pastor Ezekiel has been here for hours. All those walls that you see painted, he painted, I'm talking about for three months, I'm talking about without sleep, without, without even, uh, I mean, he, he, was, he was leaving the door open of the church. I mean, I, I mean he, he, his brain was fried. He was not making sense when you talked to him, but, but he was working to build the house of God. So we're going to let Pastor rest. Thank you, Pastor, for all your hard work. And, and, and Cena and, and Pastor Tanya, I mean... What a beautiful season, but it's not about us. 
wedding work, grand opening of the church, painting, bills, all these things. Um, and I get a phone call because I was trying to go on this mission trip for a little while, and I get a phone call from my, my supervisor. For those who know, we have a, my, my supervisor here in the house, uh, Sergeant Barbeau Jimenez right there. So wave. She she might look quiet, but she knows some she knows some uh, she knows some moves. She's prior army and air force, and her husband as well. We honor you in this house today. We thank you for your service. We love you. She calls me and she says, "Danny, I think you're gonna be able to go to that mission trip. This is the day before I have to go to my base." And somehow she she pulls some strings with my other other leadership, and 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 they say, "Hey, you gotta prove to go." So I'm like, oh, my God, I wasn't even ready to go. So I called the lady that invited me to say, hey, they just approved me. I know it was the day before. You know, I just want to let you know that they approved it. I don't have to go. I know it's super late. She's like, don't worry. I'm paying for everything. I'm paying for your ticket, paying for your food. I'm paying for everything. I'm like, for real? She's like, all you have to do is pack your bags. You're leaving the next morning. So this is 6 o'clock in the afternoon, in the evening. Now I have to get COVID tested. So I go to the emergency room to get it because no, you couldn't get tested till Monday. So I'm like, I'm not letting this stop me. I went to the emergency room. I'm like, I need this test. I get the test. I go home. I pack my bags. I get on the plane. It was the craziest trip to go there. All this to say this. It could have been very easy for me, and this is not to glorify myself, but it could have been very easy for me to say, you know what? It's too late notice. I don't, I don't have, you know... Um, the time or it's just uh, it's going to be too crazy and it's just like one thing I promise God it says God wherever you take me I'm going to go and, and I say God you know I, I, I might have a lot of stuff going on but you knew this before the, the, the beginning of this earth and before I was born before I was formed you already knew you had this plan so God whether you're going to do what you're going to do you're going to work it out and he did little by little his faithfulness he was opening doors to do it and I'm like God wow this is really you and I, I, I get there and I'm like wow God we're helping we're doing your work and it's just like man had I been so stuck about the things that I had to do and the things that I needed to to get done and all the wedding stuff and all the things I gotta do I would have never had Christ in the forefront to do what he wanted to do and I believe we must live lives that God is in the forefront that if he asks you to stop what you're doing in the middle of your tracks it's for you to stop and listen and to do I believe that God is getting ready to call some radical people to say hey you know what how this church started it started with God calling some people out of nowhere say hey you live in New York but I'm calling you to Florida and we started in the living room with five people when God tells you something, you got to do it. No matter how crazy it may sound, no matter how bizarre it may seem, just trust God. Seek first the kingdom of heaven and all his righteousness and all these things shall be added on to you. I want to let you know when you do your part, God will do his. I have never seen the righteous forsaken nor begging for bread. I want to let you know that we serve a faithful God, a God who is able, a God who keeps his promises. Are your ways and are your thoughts higher than my thoughts, says the Lord? Are your plans better than my plans? The reason why you got yourself in this mess is because you didn't follow my instruction. Obedience 
God is calling his church into obedience. And I'm talking about obedience, like say it and do it. Because our pastor, senior pastor Tanya spoke about delayed obedience one time and she wrecked me. Because delayed obedience is still disobedience. When you don't act when God says to move, there are repercussions, there are consequences. There are seasons, there's things that you can miss by not being in the right place at the right time. And I just thank God that he gave me this message today to bring to the church because all life is worthless if Christ is not the center of it. We will never know the true meaning of love, compassion, of honor, of integrity if Christ be not in the center of it. I don't know about you, but one of my greatest desires is for God to look at me and says, I know you. And he's going to say, thank you for, for feeding me when I was hungry. Thank you for, for, for clothing me when I was naked. Say, like, when, when did I do this? When you have done it unto your brother, you have done it unto me. I know your life is too busy to feed the homeless and it might be too busy to take a phone call and call somebody. But make the time because Christ says that he desires us to be in fellowship with one another. This is the purpose of the church, for us to be united, to have communion with one another, to be there to lift each other up when we're down. It says iron sharpens iron, so one man shall sharpen another. We can't sharpen ourselves. We need each other. We are all a part of God's body. Let us stand to our feet this morning. Today, I want to do a call to Christ. I know you've been coming to church and maybe you've been serving God your whole life. But I can't leave this place without offering you the best gift that I have. And that's the love of God. He gave it freely. It's a free gift. Just yesterday I was in Sam's Club. I was looking for some cups for the coffee. And they made an announcement on aisle five. We have a gift for you on aisle five. And I'm there with Denise and I'm looking at... I'm looking at my thing. I'm trying to find where the cups are at, and I'm not even listening, but I see Denise running with the cart to aisle five. And I'm like, baby, where are you going? She's like, come. And then I realize that they have a prize for us. So the guy says, a great salesman, I don't remember his name, but he says, hey, guys, I'm going to give you this free gift. He says, but would it, would it be okay and would it be fair if I just tell you about this before I give you this gift? I just want to tell you about it. And he told us about the gift. And I'm like, wow. He did such a good guy. I almost bought those knives. It was $69. It was a $300 value for $68.72 today. Lifetime guarantee. I was, he sold me. And so I was like, you know what? Got the wedding stuff, you know. I'll be all right with my knife. I might have to press a little harder, but thank you. God bless you. And he gave me a free gift. He gave me a free gift. It was a free little knife. I'm excited about that free little knife. I got an extra one in case somebody needs it in this house. And nonetheless to say is this. 
when that happened last night in the middle of the night, I started thinking, I'm like, man, the way we ran through that free gift and the way I saw all the people running to aisle five, it's just like, they were so excited to get a free gift. I said, I wonder why when we offer the gift of Christ, why people don't run to him. I wonder why when we say that there's a gift that can change your whole life, that can change your marriage, that can change your situation. I wonder why there aren't people that run up here and say, God, I need this gift. I don't know why we don't have people running to the front saying, I need this gift. I need Christ. I need to know him. I need anybody in this house needs to know him. I realized last night that I needed to know him more and more every day. Today I want to do a call to Christ. Right there in your seat, I'm giving you this free gift that I'm not giving it to you, but it was freely given to me, and I want to share it with you. You guys excited for this free gift? Because when Jesus steps in, everything changes. And I'm confident you, there's a money-back guarantee. It's a lifetime warranty that he will never leave you nor forsake you. That he's with you in the dark times, in the good times, in the, in, the, in the highs and lows. He is with you. No matter where you are, no matter where you've been, no matter where you're going, God loves you and he cares for you. So right now, let us just pray as a church. Lord, we come before you, Lord. Understanding, my God, that we are nothing. We come broken before you, Lord, my God, and... We surrender our lives, my God, because we have done so many things in our lives that never had included you. That never have put, we never took the time to, to ask you about how you feel about the situation, Lord, my God. But today, my God, from this day forward, Lord, I want you to be in every part of my life. I don't want to leave nothing else, Lord, my God. I pray, my God, for every person in this house to sound, under the sound of my voice that today, my God, that they would encounter your love, that they would receive the power and, and the power and the love of God, that they will receive the blessings from heaven, Lord, my God, that today, my God, as they make this proclamation, my God, that they just want you, Lord, my God. We just want you. We just want you, Lord, my God. Anybody in this house can say, God, I just want you. Just proclaim that right now. God, I just want you. I just I just want you, God. You you can have the car. You can have the house, Lord. I just want you. I just I just want you. I just want you, God. I don't, I don't care about anything else, God. I just need you. I, I need you. I'm desperate for you. Lord, I'm desperate for you, Lord, my God. I need a touch, Lord, my God. I need you to fix it, Lord. Fix it. I'm sorry I didn't listen. I'm sorry, Lord, my God, that, that I didn't ask you to be in this. But, Lord, you said it was never too late. So can we start now, Lord? Today, Lord, my God, we knock on the door of heaven, my God. And you open it, my God, because you said knock and it shall be open to you. Ask and seek and you shall find. Lord, my God, we seek your presence today. Lord, my God, we call on to you, Lord. Oh, Holy Spirit, my God, work in the hearts today, my God. Any broken hearts, my God. Any unforgiveness right now, Lord, my God. Any pain, any trauma, Lord, my God. That your hand be upon them in the name of Jesus, Lord, my God. Lord, my God, I thank you, Lord, my God, for those, my God, who have, who have dedicated their life to you, my God, and, and wants to reassure themselves that they know you, Lord, my God. Today, reveal to them a greater level of who you are, Lord, my God. I thank you, Lord, my God, and I bless your holy name because you are worthy to be praised, Lord. Lord, and now that we have you in the center, Lord, 
I pray, my God, that business will flourish. I pray that families will grow. I pray that divorce will cancel right now in the name of Jesus. I pray, my God, that healing in the body right now in the name of Jesus, Lord, my God. I pray, my God, for financial breakthrough in families, Lord, my God. Lord, my God, now that you are in the center, Lord, my God, I pray, my God, that your hand and your sovereignty will be with them all the days of their life, my God. I thank you, Lord, for this word. And I pray that, Lord, that this word, my God, will be taken home. And that it will also be shared. The same free gift that we received. Let us do as you commanded us to go out. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Before I end. God is good. God is good. He's faithful. He's faithful. Church, get ready because God's getting ready to do something very special. With Christ in the center, who can go, who can come against us? If God be for us, then who can win? And just real quick before I close this, I just want to acknowledge three individuals who are, who are planning to go on a mission trip. I have uh, my sister Yadi, I have my sister Caitlin, and I don't know if Day's here. Day's over there in the camera serving. I love you. Thank you. <clears throat> they feel a call and a tug in their hearts for God to send them. When I was getting ready to go to Honduras, you know how many people were telling me, don't go, COVID is crazy. You guys may be seated. I'm sorry. I got five more minutes. I'm lying. I have to say this. COVID is crazy right now. Don't go. You could get stuck. You got a wedding coming. So many excuses. It's so dangerous out there right now. They're going to rob you. They're going to take your things. They, don't go over there. Trust me. Don't go. There were so many negative voices on telling me what to do. If I don't go now, when will be a good time? According to the scriptures of God, it says that things are not going to get better. They're only going to grow worse. So while I got the chance, I'm going to continue expanding the gospel and doing the call that God has called me to do, which is the great commission to go ye into the four corners of the earth and proclaim the good news. And that's exactly what I did without no fear, no hesitation, because I know that my God is real. So with this same conviction, I know the pressing feeling of what it means for God to call me somewhere and people not understand. I know for, for God to call me somewhere and for me not having the funding to be able to go to that place. But I pray that these hearts will be stirred because I believe that each and every one of them will be able to go to this mission trip. And I just want you guys to stand up real quick right where you are. So three girls, dangerous to go on a missionary trip right now. They're going where? Brazil? They want to go to Brazil. We need to send them, church. We need to send them. So after church, talk to these girls. Let's send them. Because right now is not the time to be traveling. Right now is dangerous. Right now is risky. But you know what? They feel a tug in their heart for God to take them and send them. And I believe God wants to do a great work in them. You all may be seated. God bless you, church. I love you and thank you for listening to the Word of God.